This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 298. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Matthew Marister. What's up, man? Hey, dude, I'm like feeling pretty groggy, you know, kind of almost almost like jet lag. It's not like a two-hour flight from San Diego to Denver can like really <laughs> jet lag you, but it's been a long week. Uh, we were attending this marketing conference thing that where we spent like all day long, you know, just learning, 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 learning tons of stuff. So information overload and my brain is mush, but I'm here <laughs> for the podcast today. How about you? How are you doing? How's your brain? I'm good, 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 man. I, I would have loved to be in San Diego, but uh, we actually have a pretty good day today. It's not too, not too bad out here in Columbus, Ohio. So weather's, weather's cooperating and uh, nothing like San Diego weather though, but yeah, no, it was, it was lovely. Of course, you know that already, but uh, it was it was great. Yeah, yeah. The first day was a little bit on the cool side, but, but not bad. You know, still like for us, you know, Colorado dudes going out there, uh, t-shirt weather. You know, locals may have been in a jacket or something, but we were we were in t-shirts. Yeah. Um, but yesterday was phenomenal. It was a beautiful day. Only wish we could have spent more time, you know, having fun while we were. I mean, we had a good time, but you know, we didn't like get around and do that much oh and guess what on sunday we got to go up for a tour of 511 tacticals headquarters that just happened to fall into place at the right time and uh that was that was pretty cool how, how, yeah what did you guys all do you know so we saw everything about how 511 tactical uh is made you know from the design from their con- concepts uh to you know so basically we, we went we went through their building and there's a whole section of people that like they're just coming up with ideas, right? All the time. Like, okay, mm-hmm. let's let's make this. Let's try that. Let's, you know, here's a different way of designing these pants or a different, you know, shirt or whatever it is. And then they have another team that just sort of like plays around with actually figuring out how to make that. Okay. And then uh, they also and of course, everybody knows they do, you know, shirts and patches and things. So they got a guy that's like totally dedicated just to making patch and like shirt designs and hats and stuff like that. But anyway, but they have a whole team just to figure out how to make some of these products that, you know, people envision. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then there's a whole crew that like makes stuff and tests stuff. They have people that, you know, test to make sure the color from you know, shirt to shirt to shirt from pant to pant to pant is the same, like consistent across the board because they make a lot of things that are used as uniforms by law enforcement agencies. And so they can't have color variances. So actually have a whole room dedicated just to color testing, which was kind of interesting and fascinating to me as well. They have some really cool, exciting stuff coming in the future uh, in shoes and boots and knives and all kinds of great stuff. So 511 Tactical, you know, folks, check them out. Just giving them a little bit of love today because... We really appreciate uh, Eric over there for meeting up with us and giving us a little tour. Cool, man. Wish yeah. I wish I was there too, man. Yeah. You guys got to do a whole bunch of cool stuff. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> but you get to do awesome things like the podcast here with me today. Aren't you so of lucky? <laughs> I am very blessed, man. <laughs> Today's episode, by the way, is made possible, brought to you by Guardian Nation. Uh, today is the last day to sign up as a monthly Guardian Nation member 
and still qualify for the next box. All right, so if you don't get signed up by today, you you might you might miss out on the box, or you'd have to join at the quarterly or annual level to ensure you got the next box. But today is the last day for monthly signups for Guardian Nation and get the next box. And the last box has been pretty popular from what I've seen. We have a whole Facebook group dedicated to Guardian Nation members, and they've been you know dropping photos and comments and all kinds of stuff the last you know several days. You know, as they've been receiving their their latest box of gear and just really thrilled with what they're finding in there. So, folks, uh, you want to check out Guardian Nation? Go to guardiannation.com to learn more and get signed up today. And also, today is made possible by the Countering the Mass Shooter Threat book, which is published by the USCCA. And it is available at concealedcarry.com forward slash mass shooter book. Uh, I've read this book cover to cover. It is a solid book. It's a great book. Uh, I was actually rather impressed with with the book itself and, and used some of what was in the book, some of the statistics and data, and shared that in uh, a task force I worked on throughout this last uh, number of months uh, in my local school district to uh, come up with strategies for helping make our schools and kids uh, more safe in my in my in the, in the school district that my kids attend, and so it was really 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 great book. I recommend it. Go get a copy today. Countering the mass shooter threat. Again, concealedcarry.com forward slash mass dash shooter dash book. There you have it. Very cool. Yeah, man. Um, hey, one thing too before we get too deep into things here, uh, folks. Uh, you, when you hear this episode, particularly when you hear this on uh, on your podcatcher app or whatever, however it is that you listen to the podcast, do me a favor. When you're next time you're listening to the podcast, when you hear this episode, I'm pulling up my podcast app here. Okay, do a screenshot of the podcast, just like this. I'm showing those that are viewing live on on TV, but do a screenshot of your podcast screen. And post that on your social media and tag uh, tag us, tag Concealed Carry's uh, Facebook page, or if you're doing it on Instagram, you can tag us on Instagram at Concealed Carry Inc. And it, you know you can tag me if you want to; it doesn't matter. Hashtag Concealed Carry Podcast. So anyway, screenshot with the episode name, number, all that. Post that. Tag us uh, and uh, leave us in that post. Like your thoughts or, or or one takeaway from today's episode that you thought was valuable or important to share. That would be, you know, awesome if you guys would, would do that. It'd be greatly appreciated. I know uh uh I'm gonna give him a little love right now. One of one of our uh, loyal listeners, Elky, has uh, done that a couple of times and always I always appreciate it when when I see that. And it's cool because that just like keeps the dialogue going, you know, because you'll post something and say, Hey, I really liked you know, this aspect or this thing, you know, this one takeaway, this was really impactful to me from this episode. And, you know, I'll, if you tag us and, and all that, we'll see it and we'll go and, you know, I'll, I'll comment back and, and, uh, whatever. So yeah, it'll be fun. Right. So, um, we've got a bunch of people checking in on Facebook today. So appreciate all of those of you following and watching on Facebook today. And Cammy, remember, remind us before we take off um, to let you know about 
Guardian Nation. She said, she commented and said she signed up, but she's not exactly sure all the benefits and everything mm. she gets. We'll definitely make sure you know. Totally understandable, but just trust me, Guardian Nation is awesome. <laughs> and uh, as I said, uh, you can go to guardiannation.com and you'll see all kinds of info on that page as to what it is and what it means to be a member. Uh, basically, it is a member's uh, it's a it's a membership uh, that we have at concealedcarry.com, and uh, members only get some really special and awesome benefits, including a quarterly gearbox, including access to our members only Facebook page, which members will tell you I think they really dig it because they you know Jacob, myself, Matthew, and others uh, from our team are constantly active in there, ask, answering questions that come in, and it's, it's a it's a it's a really a, a fun lively group that's uh, growing uh, very, very nicely. We're very pleased with with the Facebook group for Guardian Nation members. Um, discounts on all kinds of products and access to special members only uh, videos, training videos and so forth. And also access to special once, you know, once in a while we do these mega sales that like most of the time we lose money on or break even, like maybe we break even on. Uh, and so it's an opportunity to get some huge savings on the product. Uh, we do it like two of those sales a year. Anyway, cool. Um, Gina says she was at the five at five eleven for the grand opening in San Antonio, and they're opening a bunch of more stores this year too. So their chances are, if you're near a major metropolitan major major metropolitan area, there's a five eleven store coming to you soon. Three gun modifications that make sense, and three that do not. Matthew. This yes, is, I'm looking. We, you and I just kind of came up with this uh, topic uh, a week or two ago, and and I, I like this concept. So, uh, because number one, modifications are cool and fun, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of things that people do to guns that like don't make sense. Now, I have no problem. So, just to set the stage accurately, I have no problem with anybody that wants to modify their gun just for fun and kicks and giggles, like knock yourself out. I have a couple of guns that I've done a few things too, and it's mostly for kicks and giggles. Um, but for my daily EDC piece, uh, well, I don't really do a lot of modifications, but let's talk about, uh, let's talk about what if we start with the three things that don't really make much practical sense? How about that? We save the, the good things for last. Yeah, it sounds good. Okay. So what I just said was uh, I like doing things sometimes for fun. And the first thing we have here on a list of three modifications that don't make sense for most people is Cerakote or some other. You know, so there's Cerakote, there's Duracoat. Um, Krylon. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, a home job, right? You know, just go buy a can of Krylon and spray paint your gun. Um, but for 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 the most part, we'll refer to this as Cerakote. Cerakote's a very popular uh, finish, right? And that's really what it is, right? Cerakote is paint, but it's it's paint that is baked onto the metal. Well, actually, mm-hmm. it'll go on on plastic too. Um, <clears throat> doesn't hold up as long on the plastic as it does on the metal. Cerakote actually is is a when it's done appropriately or, or correctly when it is applied correctly, it is a very good durable finish on the metal parts of a gun. 
And so there's two reasons you do Cerakote. Number one, you do something like a slide milling cut or you do some other kind of modification to the gun where you're changing, you know, you're actually cutting or drilling the surface of the gun. Hopefully you're not doing this by yourself, by the way. You're having a competent gun gunsmith do or something. But but you do something to the gun that uh, messes up the factory finish. And so you could Cerakote it to give it a new finish again. And when once again, when Cerakote's done correctly, it's very durable. It lasts a long time. Uh, but the thing is, is there are definitely some guys out there that advertise themselves as being Cerakote applicators and don't do a very good job. Most of the important thing is there, there's important prep work. Uh, usually the gun has to be sandblasted first, totally free of any other finishes, uh, even, you know, any, uh, like you can't even have the oil from your hands. Uh, so when you're handling a gun that's getting ready for Cerakote, it's got to be done with gloves and, and all this stuff, right? And so there's a lot of prep work involved. Um, and then the paint is applied and then it's baked in an oven for a certain temperature for, you know, some period of time. And when it goes through that process, it actually chemically changes and bonds that finish to the surface of the metal. And so that's, that's what Cerakote is and how, how it works. And one of the reasons why people, you know, would apply Cerakote is because they do something to the gun that requires a new finish. Uh, and it's, by the way, Cerakote is becoming very popular because more and more shops are able to do it because other finishes like parkerizing, uh, melanite finishes, stuff like that, typically those are very, uh, there's a lot more involved in, uh, doing those types of finishes. And typically only a large shop or a factory is able to, uh, do those finishes. Uh, so, so Cerakote's, uh, pretty easy to do. Um, anyway, another reason you do Cerakote is just for fun. And because you want your gun to look different, right? But why we are we are including this in our three modifications that don't make sense in most cases or for most people is because it actually doesn't do anything for you in a self-defense context. Like just because you Cerakote your gun some fancy color doesn't mean it's going to do anything for you in being able to shoot that gun better, right? So it's not right. really, except for in the case of a finish that needs to be redone, uh, it's not a modification that really makes, you know, it doesn't have a lot of practicality to it. So that's our first one. Uh, what are your thoughts, Matthew? Yeah, no, you, you covered it perfectly. I, I, it's kind of weird, and this kind of comes full circle. Um, talking about Guardian Nation and Cerakote, I'm going to combine them too, right? So um, Dave Spaulding, who is the guest speaker tonight for people Ooh, that uh, have access to... I forgot to mention that. Thanks. Yeah, he is the guest speaker uh, for the Guardian Nation Live tonight. And I'm friends with him on Facebook. So he, he posts this post and he asked, you know, a student and this and Dave Spaulding been teaching for, you know, since, you know, I don't know, a long time, 30, 40 years, 30 years probably. Um, and so he asked, a student asks, asked him for the first time, hey, what's better on a gun finish, uh, Kydex holster, leather holster or um, injection molded? Right? Or do they wear the the finish on the whole on the on the gun? And so it kind of comes up to Cerakote. Like, if you carry that gun and you train with it, and you're drawing, you're practicing drawing and everything. Whatever holster you use is going to wear on that gun more than you know your your gun that you just keep in the safe, obviously. So, um, you know, Cerakote's cool. And if you you know if you have to mill your gun to put an optic on it or something, it might make sense to Cerakote it. But um, the money could probably be better spent on something else if you know, if, 
you know, if you haven't done the three modifications that make sense, probably hold off on the Cerakote until you do those. And then if you have extra money to spend, but Cerakote, I mean, any, any, any finish, even the ones the factory finish are going to wear. So, um, you know, just be, just be aware that it's never going to look as good as it does the first day after, you know, thousands of draws. So, yeah. So here's one of the reasons why we're so big on modifications to a gun being practical. And it's because in my experience, you know, I've been in in this industry for quite a while now and I've been an instructor for a long time now and I see a lot of things. I've taught a lot of different people and what I know about most, most average American gun owners is that most of us, and I say us because even I could get more of this. Uh, I try, you know, and I definitely have opportunities, but most of us do not get enough training and practice. Uh, training and practice. Training costs money. And I, when I say training, I mean like you pay somebody that's rep, you know, that has a reputable business of instructing and teaching uh, students, you know, to shoot a gun effectively. You you spend money and you go and you get training. Mm-hmm. And so when we spend money on guns, that and then we spend money on the guns to modify them in some way, but then we're not spending money to make ourselves actually better shooters, better concealed carriers. We're not spending money on ammunition to go practice and, and get better, you know, in our own time. We're not spending the time doing dry fire practice at home or on the, you know, whatever. Then, then I see that as a problem. You know, when we, when we spend money to make our guns look pretty or fancy, then it, but it, you know, and, and it, it comes at a cost of not getting actually better as shooters. That's a problem. Now, if you have a nice big budget and you are actually getting out there and getting some training and you're working, you know, on practice and you're improving as a shooter and you got enough cash, you can go do all these other fancy things and it doesn't screw up your gun or hurt reliability in some way, then all right, all the more power to you, right? Um, on some of my competition guns, I have Cerakote jobs uh, just because for fun, right? Like, and one of my sponsors is Culper Precision. Culper Precision is based over in Utah. And they do Cerakote. They do a, gr- a great job. They're a licensed or certified uh, uh, Cerakote applicator. You know, they're Cerakote, the company that makes the actual paint product itself, certifies installers or applicators. And most Cerakote people are not certified. Um, but Sculper Precision is, and they provide some of my guns for competition use, and so they've done a custom Cerakote job on them. So it's pretty pretty cool. I enjoy it just for kicks and giggles. Uh, but anyway, so let's talk about another modification that doesn't make sense. Uh, what's next uh, to you for you, uh, Matthew? Yeah, and the next we have uh, a trigger, like changing out your trigger. Now, th- I know there's going to be a lot of different um, opinions on this based on, you know, practicality side, legal side, there's always an argument about should you modify the trigger on your everyday carry gun. Um, I'm going to try to leave out the the legal side of it because it's a, it's a conversation on, on its own. Um, but I'm just going to talk about the practicality side of modifying your trigger on your everyday carry gun. Um, I've done r- reviews on many different aftermarket triggers and 
in, in, in most of the time they're for Glocks because people complain about Glock triggers. Um, and, and I'll tell you if it does make a difference in the trigger pull, it, you know, if, if you have a, a trigger that is a flat trigger, it, it'll feel different on your finger. Even if the trigger pull is the same weight, like five pound trigger pull and it's a five pound trigger pull and the trigger shoe is flat compared to being round or something, it's going to, it's going to feel different. Um, even if, if the pull isn't different, but I, I think people get worked up around like, well, my factory trigger pull is, you know, six pounds and I want a four pound trigger pull and that's going to make me shoot so much better. And yes, the easier it is to tr pull the trigger, the, 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 the less variance that you will have in or less chance of moving your sights. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it, it's common sense. Right. But to a certain point, it, it's negligible that that benefit is negligible. And, um, and, and if you want to do that, it's fine. And, and leaving the, the, the legal side. And if you want to talk about it, Riley, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but like practically speaking, um, you're going to invest, you know, $150 probably on a, on a good trigger. And, um, a lot of companies are reliable, you know, the, the, the actual trigger is reliable. Um, but anytime you're changing that factory part, you, ha you, you are introducing something into your gun that isn't from the factory. And so there's always, uh, I believe there's always a slightly higher chance of a malfunction or something to go wrong based off of, you know, off of that trigger. So, um, it's up to you, but I, I believe that in most cases, um, the more you shoot your gun, the better you will you will shoot it rather than uh, trying to change a piece of gear on your gun and make it shoot better because you know it, it it's not going to make that big of a difference yeah no i don't disagree with what you said there at all uh you know, so there's a comment here from, I think it was Chad. He says, the only thing I don't like about Glock is the trigger. And so that's a common thing, right? Like people buy a gun and, uh, you know, maybe many people buy Glocks because by reputation, you know, because it is a good gun. I got, I got my Glock strapped on. Oh, it feels so good, by the way, to have my gun back with me. I, I was not able to take it with me to California. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the trigger in the Glock is not the greatest thing out there, right? Everybody knows that. And this is true also of some other guns on the market, especially striker-fired guns. So, you know, that is a common thing that, well, the I don't like the trigger. The trigger is kind of crappy. And, and some of the reason for that is because I think for a lot of people, uh, they probably come into the shooting world first through shooting like hunting style rifles that usually have much better triggers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I've seen many students come through classes. They're like, well, I grew up shooting on, on the family ranch or a farm or, or my granddaddy taught me, you know, this, and he taught me on his, you know, 30, 30 or whatever, you know? And, and so they're, they're used to triggers with very little amounts of take up or creep and, you know, fairly crisp break, somewhat short travel, and, you know, then you start getting more into the handgun world of things because you decide you want to become a self-defender, a, a guardian, you know, so to speak. And then you're like, wow, like some of these guns triggers, not cool. But there's a reason for some of that, right? So one of the reasons why some of these triggers are kind of stiff or have a long travel is a safety mechanism, both in terms of, you know, that helps the gun be more drop safe, right? 
Because one of the things you have to understand is, is a gun can be dropped on the rear of the slide and just the mass of the trigger alone, and even sometimes the trigger safety. That's why you'll see a lot of the guns with the little trigger safety, and that trigger safety is made from plastic, and it's made somewhat small because that little plastic trigger safety uh, has very low mass. And so when it gets dropped, that thing is unable to really snap you know, back and allow the trigger to go back and fire the gun. There's a there's also usually other drop safety features built into guns besides that because we obviously want to be make sure that they actually are drop safe. Of course, everybody knows about the the Sig P320 drama that happened, and that's because you know they they tried to make something that was different and unique. They didn't do a trigger safety on the trigger itself, and unfortunately, the trigger that was used had too high of a mass that when the gun could be dropped, the trigger itself could actually you know, due to that drop, the trigger itself could trip back and fire the gun. And so they, you know, part of the fix was making that trigger a lot smaller and lighter in weight. And and they also did some other things internally to the gun to also further make it more drop safe. And so, so that safety aspect is really important. So on many defensive minded handguns, they have triggers that have a little bit more travel than almost any other rifle out there has. Uh, and they have other features sometimes that make it so that they're they're more safe. But also, it's not a, necessarily a bad thing that when you are under stress and you have just drawn this gun and you're all hyped up and you're kind of maybe almost freaking out a little bit, some of you, uh, that you know you get that finger on the trigger. I mean, it, it's a real thing. Like when adrenaline's going through your body, you are able to pick things up, you know, loads, heavy loads, uh, move things, move your body in such ways that you don't recognize your own strength. And so even though you may have trained all this time on this particular gun and and on the range under low stress, it's no problem for you to, you know, only press the trigger a certain amount when, when you're getting ready to take a shot, but you're not actually taking the shot just yet. You know, you're, you're lining things up and you've got the trigger, you know, somewhat prepped. Um, but under stress, if that trigger is really light, then you may not realize just how much force you're actually applying because you're hyped up on adrenaline. And so that's, you know, that's why New York uh, police department has their New York trigger, which is like a 12 pound Glock trigger. And it's insane. It's, but that that's their reasoning is they wanted to eliminate the possibility of an officer having a negligent discharge when they draw their weapon, you know, down on a suspect or whatever. Right. So triggers on defensive handguns usually are not that great. And uh, so I caution you about, for that reason, changing a trigger to you know on a defensive handgun to make it shorter travel or make it lighter because I think it's usually best to leave those things as they were designed and as they were intended. On, on, on a defensive handgun, all of my Glocks that I carry are stock triggers. My SIGs that I have are stock triggers. The one exception is my P320X5 that I use for competition and competition only. And I have a Grey Guns competition trigger kit in it that that shortens it and makes it a lot lighter. And it's it's an awesome trigger compared to the stock 320 trigger or a stock Glock trigger. But it's for competition use, not Mm -hmm. for defensive use. Uh, So... it's important to note that some of those aftermarket triggers that you buy, they'll even say they'll have a disclaimer that says like not not for duty use or not for um, you know self defense use comp- or competition only 
Um, so you got to be careful with that as well, because you might be taking on a little bit of liability in that area as well. If anything happens. Yeah. Yep. Um, so anyway, that's just some things to consider. Now here's the thing. And this is why I have included this in the list, uh, of three gun, three gun modifications that don't make sense. Trigger. Here's the reason why is because even when a trigger is not that awesome, you can learn to shoot it still effectively. All right. I, I own a number of different guns and I shoot a lot of different guns and I test a lot of different guns and I, I teach classes and I film videos, training videos and whatnot. And so I have plenty of opportunities to shoot different guns in different contexts, in different drills. And some of those drills are rather demanding. I mean, you're familiar, Matthew, with the, uh, uh, hex drill, which is a drill Mm -hmm. that I designed. And it's, it's a core component of our Guardian uh, pistol courses that we teach, okay? Especially in the second and third. If you're, if you're doing the three-day series of courses, it's three days, right? Guardian, Guardian Essentials, Guardian Standards, and Guardian Breakthrough. <clears throat> in Standards, you begin to learn to, to do the hex drill. In Breakthrough, you... You shoot the full hex drill drill, and it's it's an intensive drill. It's one that requires speed and precision, and at varying distances. And I, mm-hmm. you know, you have to hit some small targets sometimes in that drill while you're going kind of fast at times. And you can do it with a crappy trigger. I prove it all the time. What will make a difference for people is getting a lot of practice. I truly believe this, and I could be wrong, but I I truly believe that if you practice a lot, you know, all the fundamentals, trigger manipulation, uh, grip, all these things, if you practice a lot, you your your skill level will get to a point, and I'm not saying I'm like a master or anything, but I've I feel like I've gotten to a point because I've put in the work that you could just about put any handgun in my hand and I can shoot it pretty dang well. Matthew, I think would agree. I would agree. Okay, he agrees. <laughs> Thank. Oh boy, I was nervous there for a second. <laughs> because you put in the work, you put in the time, you practice a lot, and you get to a point where you can shoot any gun pretty much reasonably well. Are there certain guns I shoot better than others? Sure. But it's it's a minute difference instead of being a big difference because the fundamentals don't change just because your trigger gets crappy, right? You still have to press that thing in such a way that it doesn't disturb the alignment of your sights on the target. And it can be done. It just requires sometimes a little bit more work. So the more you work this little thing, the trigger finger, and the more you work your grip and you can hold things nice and tight and firm, then you can shoot a crappy trigger, right? Anyway, so... Um, that's my thoughts on trigger modifications. Next up, threaded barrels. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is a common one. You see, like, if you go on Instagram, right, like, everybody and their dog, you know, that posts these pretty pictures of guns have threaded barrels. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah, I mean, I understand if you want to get a gun with a threaded barrel, and you want to shoot a compensator or, or, or I'm sorry, a, a suppressor and, um, and you have the money and the means and the time to go through all that. That's cool. I mean, it's really fun to shoot a suppressed handgun, but you're not going to carry a, a, a 
a gun with a suppressor on it. Um, the other aspect would be for compensator. Um, there is a lot of people that are putting compensators on their carry gun, which, and if you're not familiar, it's the same thing that you would put on like a, a rifle barrel at the end of a rifle barrel. And it's designed to kind of port the, the, uh, gases out and change the way the, uh, that, that pushes back on the gun. Right. So it's in, in essence, it tries to change the, the, uh, movement from up and down to more of out the gas is pushed to the side. So it kind of levels out the gun. Um, if it does, sure, it, it may do that to a certain point, but there are a lot of issues that come from putting a compensator on your gun. And I'm talking reliability problems. Um, number one, um, it, because you're changing the, the pressure in the, in the chamber, in the barrel and how that, that bullet comes out and you're introducing a lot of issues for really not a gain at the end. And plus what, I mean, holsters, there are a lot of holsters that you're not even going to be able to use because you have this big block at the end of your, <laughs> end of your slide. So I don't know. That's just my opinion. So I will offer just a little bit of a devil's advocate stance uh i think i think compensators are becoming a little more popular now some of it's because of the tactical factor and yes they'll justify it by saying well this will help my gun have less recoil shoot flatter so i can shoot better all right um i will say this much if you can prove that the compensator you mount on your gun does not impact its reliability negatively, then I have no problem with it. But I suspect that most people that throw comps on their guns, uh, particularly on their carry guns, probably don't shoot them enough or test them enough uh, to know that it you know, it's still, you know, reliable. That's, that's the number one thing that seems to happen from, in my experience, when you put a compensator on, particularly a gun that's not really designed to have a compensator. Compensators became a thing on open class guns in like USPSA, you know, on, on a, on a gun that's completely custom. So the gun is designed from the ground up to be not like anything that we associate with in the real world, as far as with a defensive handgun, because they are purely custom. They're, they're designed purely to, to break all the rules as far as, you know, usually in shooting competitions, you have all these different rules, these different classes and divisions and things that you fall in open. You could do pretty much anything you want. <laughs> it, it breaks all the rules. That's why it's open division. And so that's when compensators really, you know, became a thing was on open class or open division type guns. Uh, then you start to see people put them on carry guns, carry guns that weren't designed with that in mind. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a couple of advantages besides just the porting on a compensator that directs some of the uh, blast. You know, some of the uh, you got you have all that that what's the word uh, pressure. <laughs> you have all that pressure from the round being fired that exits through the ports on a compensator, usually up and maybe a little bit to the sides. Uh, that's supposed to help keep the gun from rising from recoil, right? But you also are putting more weight out on the barrel, which doesn't reciprocate or at least as much as the slide. So you get more weight out there that's not moving with the cycling of the gun. And so that also helps with mitigating that recoil. But in in the same way that you're adding that weight to that barrel, 
which helps with that recoil mitigation, well, you're also adding this weight to a thing that didn't have that weight previously, that was not designed with that weight, that that's where you can start causing some of the some of the cycling and feeding issues. So you have to be aware of that. So once again, I and to me, on a defensive handgun, a compensator doesn't really have a lot of practicality. All right. Have you ever seen Have you ever seen anybody shoot a, a compensated gun like in extreme close quarters? Yeah, I, it, it's not a fun thing. To, I, I mean, when you, if you guys have ever shot like extreme close quarters, what I'm talking about is like almost in contact with 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 the target. If you shoot a yeah. paper target, you're going to see the target blow a hole in it most most likely, right? If you shoot a compensated gun up close to the target, it's it like tears the thing apart and most of that blast goes straight up into the person's face. So when you're when in extreme close quarters shooting with the compensated gun, I mean it, the, the blast isn't d- danger. I mean it's not going to hurt you, but it definitely can disorient you a little bit more than like the 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 average, you know, that that pressure that you're going to feel anyway. So um, when I saw, when, when I started seeing somebody shoot with the, with the compensator up close against the target, I was like, that's probably, I mean, it it might tear a hole in a dude, you know what I mean? And the attacker, (laughs) but like, as far as practicality, it, it, it it causes a little bit of a little bit issues, I think. Sure. Now there's actually a, so speaking of threaded barrels, some people will say they, they put a threaded barrel on their gun, uh, not because they have a suppressor, but just because it gets them a little bit more barrel length and thereby can increase velocity of the rounds they're firing. Okay, there's something to that, I suppose. Uh, but are you really getting that much velocity? In my experience, adding a half inch, that's what most uh, threaded barrels add is about a half inch. Adding a half inch to your barrel is not going to like suddenly be you know, the difference maker between this bullet not performing that great and suddenly it's a, you know, one shot, you know, man stopper. Like that's <laughs> not how it works, you know, and that's so yeah, you'll get a maybe twenty, maybe thirty feet per second faster. All right, cool. You know, like cool beans, bro. Um but uh you know, if you have a suppressor, well that's fine. But you're not carrying a suppressor, concealed at least. Uh in fact you almost practically can't carry a suppressor in a holster. There are some guns and some holsters where you can do that, but like really you're going to carry openly this massive thing, you know, sticking down your leg. It's not really practical, right? Uh, so, but some people, you know, probably like to shoot the suppressor and maybe they're switching that on and off enough times that they like to have the threaded barrel. Okay. All right. That's cool. Like whatever. But there, a lot of times yeah. you see people doing it, I think for the cool factor, because it looks cool and thus, it's not really practical. First, it doesn't do anything for you to make you a better defensive-minded shooter. That's why it's on the list of three gun modifications that don't really make sense. Now, there is a comment or question here from Shana. And uh, Shana's been through our Triple Guardian courses, and she did awesome. And she asks, opinions on a suppressed twenty-two to teach my six-year-old nephew to shoot? Obviously, with very focused supervision, she says, and I, and I know that you replied to her in the chat, Matthew. But I think that's an awesome idea, provided that he, you know, that that suppressor isn't so big and heavy that he can't hold it very effectively. But that's actually not a bad way to get a lot of people started in shooting, especially if they might be a little sensitive to recoil or noise or muzzle blast. A suppressor can take that all away, and uh, so that's not a bad way to go, provided he can, you know, hold that effectively. So. Yeah, I love that suggestion. 
Um, let's see. Chat says vision could be affected during defensive night situations in your house. House, that's possible. But I have seen some pretty in-depth uh, studies on this from some people in the industry I trust, and I think that muzzle blast from a compensator and blinding you and stuff is probably not as big a problem as what you is what you've probably been led to think. All right, I, I think that's sort of a myth that's starting to be. Sh- to show that it's sort of busted. And here's one of the reasons why, particularly on a handgun. On a handgun, uh, and this is the other thing too about compensators. Compensators require a lot of gas for them to work. So you need a lot of that that muzzle pressure gas to go through the ports of the compensator that to actually have an effect on you know reducing recoil and all that stuff. Honestly, in a you know nine millimeter round, which is probably what most people are going to have, there's not enough gas to really run a compensator super effectively. It, I mean, it not that it doesn't do anything, but it doesn't do as much as what you think it probably would do. Especially if you're if you have any experience with a compensator like on a five five six, you know, or two twenty three rifle, right? Like where you got a lot more gas there, and that compensator can make a huge difference. Uh, I mean, everybody's familiar with the 50 BMG, you know, with like a Barrett 50, uh, uh, you know, rifle that has the massive muzzle brake on the end. Let's well, that's doing the same thing as a compensator, right? And so as that bullet passes through, and there's a ton of muzzle blast and and gases from the ignition of the charge that go through that muzzle brake and significantly on a round like that reduce the recoil, right? But we're dealing with this little tiny nine millimeter. There's just not that much gas. So compensators are not as effective, and they also don't throw out quite as much of that orange fiery muzzle blast that that you might think would blind you in a dark situation. Okay, I read an article not too long ago from somebody I trust that that uh, I think kind of debunks that a little bit. Um, I'll give you. Uh, a reference, Chuck Pressburg is a well-regarded instructor, uh, military operator is, you know, was his career and he's a, he's a really good instructor and he runs a Glock with a optic on it and a compensator. And, uh, you know, he, he, he thinks that's awesome, you know, and he's a legit dude. So if he thinks that's cool, that's fine. He's got his reasons. I'm just saying it can't be done. He knows that his runs and that it's reliable. He's tested and he shoots a lot. That dude goes through, I'm sure, tens of thousands of rounds a year. So, but but he's done the work to to say that for him and for the way he shoots that that works for him, and that's fine. But if you're just throwing crap on your gun and you don't know whether it works or even what it does for you necessarily, then that's kind of what we're getting at here. All right. Cool. Yeah. Um. We have. Uh, an alternate gun modification that doesn't make sense. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. And that is slide milling. That means cutting usually cutouts in your slide to reduce the weight. And the idea there is that less reciprocating weight means less flip, you know, muzzle flip and faster cycling. Uh, And I'll just say like, it looks cool, but usually is not practical. Uh, at least on a defensive handgun, and can cause, ad- additionally, such as these other things we've talked about, can cause cycling issues. Mm-hmm. So caution advised. Yeah, I would put that in the same same basket with Cerakote. 
I mean, it's cool. It's cool if you want to make your gun look cool and stuff, but the benefit of it isn't going to be like drastic. Yep. That brings us to three gun modifications that make sense. So, Matthew, what's up first? Let's start with uh, sights, uh, uh, you know, upgrading your factory sights. Now, a lot of guns are starting, defensive handguns are starting to come out. You know, um, companies are starting to give you some decent defensive handgun sights. Um, And what I mean is like a night sight. Um, And so most of the time, like what I'm talking about is like when you look at your Glock sights and they're plastic, those things get dinged up and and you don't, I mean, they're not, they're not, I don't want to say they're broken because I've never easily broken because I've never really broken a pair. I have dinged them up and damaged them. Um, but when you have a a set of steel sights or metal sights on your gun that are night sights, um, you have the ability to use those sights in different ways, not just as sights, but to rack your slide to, um, you know, if you're for one handed manipulation with your gun and things like that. Um, but especially putting a set of night sights on your gun. And and I know people are like, well, I'm not going to shoot in the middle of the night. It's, it's not like zero light sights. (laughs) This is for like reduced light where, um, just not enough visibility to, you can identify the target, right? Because you can't shoot unless you can identify your target. So we're not talking about shooting the pitch black. We're talking about shooting where I can identify the target. But if I pull up my gun and I look at my sights, if they're all black, I can't, I can't distinguish where my sights are and I can't, I can't tell where I'm aiming. Um, so if, if you're not like really familiar with what I'm talking about, like at night, go into like a room with some ambient lighting and, and bring up your gun if you have don't have night sights and, and see how sometimes your, your sights can just disappear. And so if you have that, that glowing front dot, it gives you some reference points with if you have you know, dots in the rear that you can, you can kind of line that up. So um, night sights are awesome, awesome upgrade option to any gun, not any gun because some, like I said, come real, re- you know, good from the factory, but night sights are, are definitely a, a payoff. Yeah. I agree with you, you know, so I think it is rare that someone really needs the night sights. Uh, although many shootings do occur in low light, uh, it's probably rare that it's a major factor for most people, but it's kind of like, you know, in today's world of technology and everything that we have, like, why not? So, but what I would probably focus on a little bit more is making sure that your gun has sights on it that are effective and that they are effective for you. For me, the thing that makes the biggest difference in being able to shoot a defensive a defensive handgun quickly and effectively is a very visible, very obvious, hard-to-miss front sight. All right, so on my Glock 19 that I have here with me, I have the XS sights, F8 night sights, which I think are awesome because they're kind of they're they're actually kind of big um even the front post is kind of big and maybe even a little bit wider than i probably normally see or prefer uh but that front sight is hard to miss and it's got this big bright orange dot and in the center of that is a tritium vial as well so at night you know it's also very very good and effective as well but then here's the other thing the rear notch on that rear sight is pretty generous. So sometimes what happens when you have a real narrow notch on the rear sight is it's easy to lose your front sight because one of the two wings of your rear sight will kind of cover it up. You know, you get a little bit out of alignment. You're like, oh crap, where'd my front sight go? Uh, I like 
I like a pretty generous rear notch. Even the excess sights, the big dots is like a shallow V with a big round dot in the front. Those are also great. I don't really have them on my guns, but I have shot with them and they are easy to see. They're very effective. Uh, so then on my competition guns, I have a front sight that is a, a, uh, fiber optic and very bright. And then again, I like kind of a wide notch in the rear so that, you know, it, it's not for me so much. Some people get a little bit nervous when they get that really wide notch in the rear and they're like, Whoa, how do I center this up? It, 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 it it's not an issue. Your eye naturally wants to have equal distance on either side of that front sight when you're looking at it through the rear notch. Um, if you start to miss shots left or right, it might be because you have a little slight alignment issue. And so then you got to pay a little more attention and, and get things lined up a little bit better. But generally speaking, I like a, a pretty generous rear notch and a big or very bright looking front, front sight, you know, either a dot or whatever, right? That makes a huge difference. And you don't get that with stock sights a lot of times. And you certainly don't get that on a Glock. So first thing I do with any of my Glocks is, woo, get rid of those sights. Uh, you know, I used to think the Glock sights at one time were kind of cool. I liked the white outline in the rear, you know. <laughs> right, right. Like I, at one time I thought it just... And I think actually that that the way that they outline that rear notch, I think is actually kind of somewhat effective. But the sights are just not that great. And you shoot with really good sights, quality sights, then you'll be like, uh, yeah, I can't go back to that. So uh, a couple sights I really like is almost anything from XS. I really like the v, the Viking Tactics, the VTAC sights that Kyle Lamb makes. Um, they're different, okay? Some people don't care for them, but I like them. They work well for me. I like anything made by, by Dawson or by Springer Precision. Typically, those are more competition oriented, but I like them and they're they're quality. Uh, True Glow makes some amazing sights. Uh, True Glow with their their TFXs, uh, where basically have a tritium vial in them so for your night sights, but then they also have they've some they've cleverly incorporated into the same dot. Essentially, they have tritium that will light up at night and fiber optic that lights up bright during the day. The True Glow ones are amazing. Ameriglow makes some other, also some great sights. Um, I like their ones that have kind of a square yellowish front dot. And then the rear is just sort of like this line. You just sort of like line up the square thing in the front with just, just over top of the line in the rear. You know, just it, very easy to see, pretty effective as far as sights go. So anyway, sights are definitely, I think, a modification that makes sense. So that's why it is at the top of our list. Next up, grip texture. So grip texture, I think, is really important for me. Uh, the, what I see from most gun manufacturers is they make guns with grip textures that, in my opinion, are poorly designed. And in most cases are too slick to get a really effective grip on the gun. All right. I think some that are better than others would be like Glock. A standard Glock Gen 4 or newer is a pretty decent grip texture. Um, but then you see things like this new 
Uh, well, how about the XD Mod 2s? And I know this is a popular one for some, you know, with the grip zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the grip texture on those is not bad on the front and back, but the sides of the grips are like, they're just flat, plastic. There's not like really any texture there. Yeah. And, and keep in mind that when you're gripping your handgun, you want the base of your palm, your support hand pressing into the side of that gun. And if there's no texture there, then that's just going to be slipping around on recoil, especially. And so if you see people struggling with their grip breaking during recoil, it's usually breaking because they are not gripping tight enough is often a common issue too, but it helps. And you don't have to maybe grip as tight sometimes if you have really good grip texture. So I really like if, if your gun doesn't already come with decent grip texture, I like doing something about that. Um, and there's several options. You could have it professionally stippled. Of course, you could try to stipple it yourself, although most people probably end up screwing up their guns when they try yeah, to do it themselves. Yeah, cool pictures on the internet of people that try to, try to do it on their own. Yeah. Uh, I have a kit, actually, right here. It's uh, made by OT Defense. Uh, OTDefense.com. It's a firearm stippling kit. I bought it. Uh, because I'm going to, I've been saying this for a while now, I just need to, one of these weekends, actually get after it. But I'm going to stipple the grip on my uh, P320X5, my competition gun. What I have on my X5 is Talon grips, uh, not the rubberized version, but kind of the skateboard tape or sandpaper type uh, you know, Talon grip. And so that's the other alternative is if you're not going to do a, a, a stippling job, then you, there are some of these grip tapes and, and stuff like that that you can do um, that, you know, the rubberized version is probably a little bit better for carry uh, because the sandpaper is pretty abrasive, even more so than a typical stipple job. Um, then there's also the rubber grips that people will put over top of the grip. And I'll be honest, I'm not crazy about those. But Matthew, why don't you throw in your two bits and and then maybe I'll come back to the to the rubber grip things. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I, I did a little, a little uh, comparison. I took a, I, it was a Gen 3 Glock and they're not known for having great, you know, texture, uh, stock texture on the grip. But so I put a clamp on there and, you know, I measured how much pressure uh, or how much force it took to pull that clamp off the grip. And then I put some talon grips on there and I used the granulated skateboard tape one and the, the talon grip that's more rubbery. Um, not like the whole grip rubber that is almost like a, um, I want to say it's like an old inner tube that slides up over the over the grip, I'm talking about the talon grips that are not, you know, they're, they're just a little bit more rubbery. Um, and it, it, it's dra- it produces a, a lot more grip for you. And I think, I, I think if you change, if you just did a simple, if you put a simple thing of grip tape around your gun, it doesn't even have to be pretty. If you put that on there, you would be amazed at how much better you can control the gun. And once you start controlling the gun, you feel more confident with it. You're less, um, you know, moving it after each shot, you know, adjusting your grip after each shot. If you're doing that, you're not gripping the gun enough. You know, you're not, you're not controlling that gun. So anything you can do, and that's probably one of the cheapest things you can do is throw some grip tape on there or, um, or talent grips. I think they're like 10 bucks or 12 bucks or something. Um, 
but totally, totally a good, a good upgrade, uh, especially for some of those guns that just have terrible, terrible grips. Now, if you have a, like a 1911 or something with grip panels or CZs, you know, there, you have tons of options, right? Um, so yeah. you, you can go as aggressive as you want, but polymer guns are, are a little bit different story. Yep. A, a really good quality stipple job. And, and in case you don't understand stipple, uh, it's typically applied by using a, what essentially is a soldering iron, right? And uh, you can use a variety of different tips of a heated soldering iron. Uh, and the cool thing about this OT defense kit is it comes with all these different tips that are really designed for, you know, they have stippling in mind, right? This is definitely a, this is very much a stippling kit. So you have all these different tips and, and, and textures and things that you can use with these uh, different accessories that come with the kit. And uh, so stippling, you're, you're basically melting the surface of the grip and applying a, an actual texture to it uh, that could be, it can be anywhere from somewhat, you know, from kind of a mild or medium uh, stipple job to very aggressive, depending on what you're looking for. On a competition gun, I want really aggressive because one, I don't carry that gun. And, you know, I, here's the thing. The more you can grip that gun, the less it moves in your hands. The less it moves, the more confident you'll be, the faster you'll be able to shoot, the more control you'll have over the gun. But when we're carrying a gun, if we go super aggressive, obviously there's some problems there because it's going to abrasively wear out our clothing and or our body, our skin. Uh, so we have to find a happy medium that gives good grip, you know, texture, but but not being too overly aggressive. So anyway, um, the here's here I have I have a beef with the talon grips a little bit. All right, first of all, the talon grips. I think are a quality product and I like them and I've used them on a number of different guns, but because I grip so tightly, I think it, they're not as ideal for me because if I grip really tightly and I get the surface underneath really quite warm, then sometimes the adhesive on those will start to move. And so I'll get a little bit of drifting of the talon grip. So sometimes they'll get kind of bunched up in places. I've actually learned on a couple of my guns, like I have a, one competition gun that still has some talon grips on them that I've removed some of the material where, uh, where it just wasn't really working very well because of how I grip and where it was applying that pressure and how it was moving the talon grip itself. Uh, so yeah, that's one of the, what I see as a downside is if, especially if it's a hot day and your hands are hot and you're gripping really firmly shooting a hot gun, the, those they will tend to move and slide around a little bit, unfortunately. All right, but I do think they're a pretty good good product. And then, um, so the rubber, you know, over mold type grips, you know, you kind of put the rubber thing on top of the grip. Um, and some people even commented about like using bike tires. First of all, bike tires, mm, yeah, not not that good of an option. Uh, mostly because they don't have really a stippling on them. Now, some of these products from like Hogue uh, that are a rubber mold that goes over top of the grip, uh, they actually will have some stippling on the outside of them. And so that, that will actually help a little bit with some of the grip. Uh, I I'm not a big fan of those rubber things because for some of the same reason, I have yet to find one that doesn't move a little bit on the grip of the gun over time, especially as you shoot it, you shoot it a lot. And particularly if you grip pretty tightly, like I do, and like I think most shooters should, it will move. 
And when it moves, it's not that comfortable. Like it, you know, it's always like this, that grip's a little bit different each time I grab the gun because it moved a little bit from last time. So that's kind of my beef with the rubber over mold, you know, type grips that, that people buy aftermarket and, and slide onto the grips of their guns. Uh, some of them I also feel just looking in, some of this might be error in installation, but some of them can, I think, almost interfere a little bit with achieving a, a an, an ideal grip on the gun um, if a person's not careful. But uh, yeah, anyway. So all those things I think are great if it helps you get a better grip on the gun, but just be aware of maybe some of the potential downsides and uh, make sure you're applying things or using things the, the correct way. All righty, uh, last thing. Mag extensions, and uh, this is kind of an interesting one, but uh, but it's fairly common, fairly popular. So what we're talking about is basically you change out the base plate on a magazine with an extended one or even a different one for, you know, usually they are extended, but sometimes people will change out base plates for other reasons, like because it just gives them more grip or whatever. But uh, most of these will add capacity to the magazine of your gun. So that's always cool. Like more capacity? Yeah, why not? Who doesn't want more ammo, right? Uh, so are these practical? Yeah, I, th- I think they are. Uh, and I think sometimes almost necessary. When the Glock 43 first came out, it, it, well, the Glock 43 still is, it is a six plus one gun. And I remember when it came out, I was like, hey, it's cool that Glock has a 43 single stack nine millimeter now. That's cool. But why is it only six plus one? You know, you had a shield that was seven or eight plus one that wasn't much bigger, even with the eight plus one configuration. Of course, now we have the P365 that like null and voids everything with its massive, you know, 10 or 12 round magazine options. But, uh, you know, it's a pretty popular thing. I, I, I went right out and bought two, two extensions, oh, three extensions for the three different magazines that I had for the 43 when I first got it. Uh, so that I got plus one. So it was seven plus one. And that was a little bit better, but a lot of people go plus two or even plus three base plate extensions and get even more capacity. Of course, the downside being that you continue to make your gun bigger and bigger and that's a little bit more difficult to carry. Uh, so mag extensions, I think, uh, can be practical and some, sometimes maybe even necessary depending on what your ideal, uh, vision of a gun and and the capacity that should hold. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and that's why I kind of, I put that on there is like, it's, I, I know a lot of people are like, well, if you have a 43 and you want more capacity, just go to a 26 or why don't you carry a 19? But for some people, the, ge- the geometry of how the gun fits in your hand is what they like, but they want a little bit more capacity. So if you can squeeze a couple extra rounds in it, why not? Now I know, you know, concealing the gun, the, the most difficult area or length or, you know, uh, angle is the length of the, 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 the grip, right? So you're extending that and it might make it a little bit more difficult to conceal in certain circumstances, depending on how you carry and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, adding more capacity is always great. Um, especially if you don't have the ability to carry a spare mag or something like that. And, you know, especially, and also, especially if you have a gun that has small capacity to begin with. Right. So, um, those are, I think that that's something that, um, that makes sense if, um, if you can still conceal with it and everything, it definitely makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I love this one. This one's creative. 
Joseph says, have seen electric tape sticky side out. He's talking about the when we were talking about grips, right? So electric tape sticky side out. I'm not even sure how you apply that. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, okay, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate your thoughts on the mag uh, extensions. And uh, there was a comment here from somebody saying he doesn't really care for them. He thinks they're overkill. I don't feel the need to add one to my Glock 19 or a Glock 17. Um, I don't really feel the need to add them to a gun that has at least 10 round capacity. Because uh, at 10, like for me, I, this has just been kind of as I have experimented and as I have sort of moved, you know, along on my own personal concealed carry journey, I feel like every gun should carry, this is my preference, every gun should carry ideally 10 rounds or more, you know, that I carry for self-defense. Uh, under 10, I, I, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, there's times where I carry a gun that that's, that is that small, but I like 10 rounds or, or more. That just feels better. Uh, so, so, I mean, if, if, if adding an extension, you know, plus one, plus two or whatever, it gives you, gets you closer to that 10 number, then like, I, I am all for it. As long as, again, as it doesn't affect, uh, the reliability of the gun. And it seems like most of these products out there generally don't have a negative impact on that. Uh, meaning that by adding that base, base plate extension and some kits will actually come with a new, a whole new spring, right? Cause the spring needs to be a little bit longer, but not always do they ha have to have that. So like a, typically a plus one, you probably don't have to change out your spring. Uh, but, uh, plus two or plus three, you might have to anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, cool. So, there's one last kind of alternate or bonus uh, modification, and that is, and it's not really a modification, it's so, so much as like an accessory that you add to the gun, and that is potentially having a light. And this is often debated, you know, whether it's even really all that needed. And I'm kind of in the you know, I, I don't really carry a gun personally for self-defense on a daily basis that has a light mounted on it. So you can kind and of sense either. where I, yeah, so you can kind of sense where we're at with that. But it is a modification that, provided you're good at using that light and you don't break any cardinal rules, meaning like you don't pull your gun out ever to use it as a light, as a flashlight. So you can find your way or something through the dark. Like as long as you don't do anything stupid, like I see no problem with having a light on your gun. If you're cool and comfortable with carrying it, like, you know, it certainly can't hurt. Yeah. But you do have to practice with it because it does just like putting a compensator on there. You're putting some weight at the end of the barrel or towards the end of the barrel. And it is going to feel a little bit different, um, in your hand weight recoils and things like that. So, um, it's not like something you just would want to throw on and then never train with it. Um, you definitely need to, you know, get used to how, how your gun feels with, with the, the light and you're potentially removing some of the, uh, holster companies that don't make holsters for guns with light. So, yeah. Yep, um, I'm with you there. And, and here's the, the other caveat here. As long as you can carry a light on your gun, as long as you continue to carry a flashlight in your pocket, you know, standalone light, all right? You, if you're going to carry a light on your gun, you better have a secondary light option. Actually, that, that flashlight, this is how I view it. This one that's in my pocket, this is a primary, this is my primary light. This is what I'm going to first in most circumstances. If I was carrying a gun with a light on it, that's my secondary light, and it's only used if it's dark, and I need to use my gun all at the same time, right? But this guy here, this is the primary one that gets used on an almost daily basis. That's why I carry a little light in my pocket all the time because it's actually handy to have. 
So anyway, all right, that brings us to a close here. Oh, actually, hold on. There was one comment I wanted to point out. Richard says he had an extension on his Glock 43 and consistently had failures. He sent it back to the factory and and the failures stopped, I'm assuming, because they probably removed the extension uh, or something. I don't know. But yeah, that kind of goes along with what we were talking about a moment ago with that. You want to make sure stuff still is reliable and works the way it should. Um, Dale asks, how do you feel about changing guide rod spring? Do not like the one on my shield 45. I generally recommend not toying around with, you know, using anything other than the factory recommended recoil spring or, or guide rod or recoil spring assembly. Uh, most of these are a captured assembly, you know, of a spring and kind of guide rod all in one, right? I seriously recommend you to stick with what the factory recommends in most circumstances. And uh, yeah, so good question though. Uh, well, that brings us to a close. We've talked today about three gun modif- modifications that make sense and three that don't, plus two bonuses. Uh, sights, grip texture, mag extensions, lights, Cerakote, trigger, threaded barrel, and slide milling. Hopefully you found some value in today's episode. And again, I would just ask, you know, if you like this and if you cared enough to, to share the podcast, take a screenshot of the podcast that you listened to today, share it on social, tag Concealed Carry, hashtag Concealed Carry Podcast, that way we can find it, and leave us a comment, a takeaway, something that you would like to contribute or something that you learned from today's episode. That'd be awesome. We'll, we'll look for those posts on social, uh, typically Facebook and Instagram, or if you care to do it on Twitter, that that's fine too. So a reminder that today's episode was brought to you by Guardian Nation. Go learn more today at guardiannation.com. And remember that today is the last chance to sign up for the monthly option where you still qualify for the gearbox, the next gearbox that ships out in the month of May. And uh, also another huge Guardian Nation member benefit is you get to participate in the monthly Guardian Nation live uh, sessions. These are broadcasts we do live face-to-face video broadcasts with top industry experts. And tonight's guest, we're doing it one of these, yes, tonight, uh, at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Tonight's guest is Dave Spaulding, and he is a a fantastic uh, firearms instructor that many of you may recognize or know. Uh, Maybe you've read some of his articles through the years. He's written for a number of gun magazines. And uh, so we're really excited to have Dave Spaulding on tonight's Guardian Nation live broadcast. And if you're not yet a member, well, you could still sign up today and be able to attend tonight's uh, broadcast. And uh, for those that are wondering about how to view that broadcast or, you know, where, where you go, just log into our site, go to your, to the, to your dashboard in your profile Uh, Once you're logged in and you'll see all the member benefits and things and you'll see the live broadcast button and you can click on that and there'll be a link there that will uh, get you to the broadcast tonight. Again, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. We hope to see you there joining us with Dave Spaulding. Uh, Also, today's episode made possible by the Countering the Mass Shooter Threat book published by the USCCA. Pick one up today, concealedcarry.com forward slash mass dash shooter dash book. It'll help you be, I think, a little bit more uh, informed, educated, and prepared uh, if you ever have to face a situation with a mass shooter threat. So with that... It is time to wrap this all up and say goodbye to the folks. And so we will do that by reminding you to train right, 
train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. reminder that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed carry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast